Welcome to the Not Tonight podcast, where we have bold conversations about sex and intimacy in marriage. I'm Rachel. And I'm Caitlin. And we are two married women who believe that telling the truth about sex leads to connection, joy, and freedom. In each episode, we will elevate stories of women discovering their most authentic self by doing the work in their own sex lives. Join us as we hear from incredible women just like you who are discovering that the path to healing begins in the bedroom. Welcome back to the Not Tonight podcast. We are here today, Caitlin and I, Caitlin's here too. Hello. (laughs) We are here today with the lovely Amanda Carpenter. Thank you for being here, Amanda. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Yes, we are so excited to dive into your story today. For those of you who don't know Amanda, she is a rock star in the social media world, just compassionate, kind voice and encouragement to mothers. Um, She is also in the Christian world talking about vulnerability and openness and also parenting foster children. Um, Amanda, can you give us a little overview of the things that you're all about in your little corner of the internet? (laughs) Yeah, sure. Um, That was a great intro. I I love it. I love hearing what other people have to say because I'm like, oh, okay, cool. (laughs) No, you were were spot on. my husband and I live in Los Angeles. I have We have one biological child, and then we've been foster parents for over five years. So we've had a lot of kids come into our lives for a season, and we get to temporarily care for them and partner with their families and then send them home. That's a big part of what we're passionate about. Mm-hmm. And yeah, as you mentioned, I am a Jesus follower. I feel like the older I get, the less I know or the less I am certain of things, <laughs> and I'm growing I'm growing really like more comfortable with that, but uh, I I know for sure that I want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. That if there's one person that I want to model my life after, it's it's Jesus and what we read about in the Gospels. So that's mm-hmm. my aim, and everything I kind of stand for is how do we build longer tables rather than higher fences? How yes. does that live? Mm-hmm. How do we do that practically in 2023? So mm-hmm. that's a little bit about me. Other fun things, I eat a lot of cereal. I like cookies. <laughs> my friends my friends joke that I have the diet of a 12-year-old boy. So think, gush, think Gushers, Doritos. Like I'm, uh, And it's funny because we can be multiple things at once. I love mm. health. I'm actually really passionate about health. So it sounds ridiculous mm. for me to admit that I also love Gushers and Doritos. But I love to work out. Eating healthy doesn't come as naturally to me. I have to work really hard at that. And I believe in balance. So Mm-hmm. I'm a real person. I don't know what else to say. I think um, something in there hopefully will relate to everyone. Mm, I love it all. I love Gushers too. That is actually like on Mother's Day, I get Gushers, which I feel also I like a, a, a 12-year-old, but they're delicious. <laughs> so good. Anyone who says they're not delicious, I I don't know if I trust them. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I feel like they're the candy version of tomatoes. Uh, no. You eat Either love them or hate them with this like center. Yeah, there is at the center. I get it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, what I'm hearing, Manda, is that you are the cool house when it comes to foster parenting because Mm. you have your your uh, cabinet stacked with all the good snacks. So. (laughs) 
we we haven't had complaints about that. So yeah, I think I think we have we have that going for us. <laughs> yes. I love that so much. Oh my goodness. Okay, so another thing we want to mention before we dive in is that you are also a published author. Yeah. Can you tell us just just a little snippet of your book before we get going here? Sure. Yeah, I forgot that detail. Yeah. So I'm a I'm a writer. I've always written and my uh book Soul Care to Save Your Life came out in August of last year and you know, it's it's a nonfiction, very self-help, Christian living sort of book, but it also reads like a memoir. I'm sure you mm-hmm. picked up on that, Rachel. It um, is really just me sharing my story and all the hard lessons, or really what I should say is all the lessons I learned the hard way throughout <laughs> my 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really go all the way. Like I hold nothing back and I just tell the truth of my lived experience, which involves making a lot of mistakes. So I also joke that I'm just a professional mistake maker who knows how to get back up after I fall down. Uh, but I'm not getting back up on my own. That is mm-hmm. totally with the help of Jesus and and my faith. And so, yeah, I am happy to share any yes. and everything that's in the book. The nice thing about writing a book like that, I will say, is that there's nothing anyone could say like, oh, if only you knew this about Manda. Because I told them myself, I went first. I just yeah. dished it all out. I'm obviously not every little thing, but the the major things that I'm not proud of, they're out there. And mm-hmm. there's been such freedom in having my all of that just fully in the light, in yes. full transparency. Mm-hmm. I feel more confident and more secure because mm-hmm. of those imperfections just being known and mm-hmm. no longer having to striving to be perceived as perfect. That's what a lot of that book is about is really mm-hmm. how do we live a life where we aren't striving in general, but also striving to be perceived a certain way because it's mm-hmm. exhausting. So that yeah. one of the chapters is called impressing is exhausting. That's a mantra I have. Mm. Yes. I just love so much of what you're talking about. One of the things that I talk about constantly is authenticity and vulnerability. And the reason why I talk about it all the time is because that creates connections with people and the connections with people are so it's like the 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 spice of life kind of it's just like it there's so much goodness and so much richness in that so I just love how you're talking about that and I can't wait to hear more about your story and your book and all the things thanks I feel like you just hit on a big reason why we're even here today is that power in speaking what's gone on in our story and like Mm -hmm. getting ahead of the press in a sense, like being the one to go first and say it and not holding back. And then what you're saying, this freedom that comes when we do speak those words, it feels so scary in anticipation. I'm sure that leading up to your book coming out, there were probably some big feels about that. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. I, I spent a lot of time with a spiritual director and a therapist. Yes, preparing yeah. a lot yeah. of feels. I can imagine. And then like once it's out there and you've let go of your baby and it's out in the world, there's no turning back. There's no turning back. (laughs) So that's amazing. Let's jump in and like get into this nitty gritty of this story that is your life. So my first question for you, Amanda, is going all the way back before you were ever married in your formative years, what were some of the things that you ingested and learned about sex and about relationships 
that were some of the building blocks mm. for the way that your brain oriented around sexuality. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. There's so many ways I could answer this question. A few <laughs> things that really stand out to me are that I associated sex as a bad thing because the message uh, that I received within purity culture was like, I am to keep my body covered. I am to save myself till marriage. If I don't, I'm damaged goods. No one's going to want me. So repeatedly I'm hearing sex is bad, not sex is amazing. Sex is really good. It's really beautiful when it's between two people who love each other and are committed to each other. And all the things that I now know are true. That wasn't the script. Hmm. So sex is bad, bad, bad. Well, also growing up for a number of reasons, I tend to want to do the very thing you tell me I can't do. I'm an Enneagram eight. I like to push against the boundaries. So, well, if you're telling me this thing is so bad and off limits, that only makes me want to do it more. So there, <laughs> there was problems there, right? On that level. But then on a deeper level, I got really confused. I think growing up because I really wanted, we're going, we're going deep here. I really wanted my dad to love me, to mm. want a relationship with me. I craved that. So I had this mom who was very invested and so wonderful. My parents were divorced and my dad, I didn't get to spend a ton of time with him. When I did, he worked a lot and was gone. So he left me with a stepmom that did not treat me well. Um, mm. It was a, an abusive relationship. And I just craved love from him so badly. I mean, I don't know what child doesn't want love from both of their parents, but specifically, I don't know if it's, you know, what psychologists would say, but as a, as a little girl, I wanted my dad to want to come to my gymnastics meets and to want to come to my little cross country uh, meets or whatever that we had in elementary school. Um, mm -hmm. And he did come to one and I've like never forgotten that memory, mm -hmm. but I wanted him to love me and how that correlates with my story and my ideas about sex and all that is by the time I got to middle school, I knew that the way to get a boy to want me or to want to hang out with me and to want to spend time with me was often related to my body and related to what I could offer. And unfortunately, that quickly reinforced this belief that that's what that was for. So mm -hmm. I, I, I almost learned that sex was a tool for manipulation and a tool to get mm -hmm. a need met. And for me, I was using sex and sexual related activity in a physical way to get an emotional need met. The problem is it always left me feeling worse than before. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't figure out why. And then I was stuck in a shame spiral. And so you can see how this dysfunction plays out mm -hmm. because fast forward to I get married and I think all of that is behind me because I love my husband, my brand new husband, like love of my life. There were no issues in our dating relationship, no issues in our engagement. And so I thought all of that was just in the past. Mm -hmm. Well, quickly life happens. And even my husband was busy sometimes and no one person can fulfill you all the time. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Like it can't be mm -hmm. on at all times fulfilling you perfectly. And even if he had, this was going to come up at some point because it right. wasn't about him or our relationship. It was, a, it was a me issue. Yeah. Uh, and I confused mm -hmm. desire for love and it left me constantly searching and craving. And so in my marriage, this sort of sin that laid dormant reared its head. And in our first year, I, uh, had an emotional affair with someone that did turn physical. And when it turned physical, it was a one-time occurrence, but man, it was then and only then that I was like, who the heck have I become? 
what is happening? Mm -hmm. Because, because Rachel, Caitlin, I would have told you, I was never going to cheat on my husband. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. not that anyone wakes up one day and says like, today's a great day to cheat on my spouse, or today's Mm -hmm. a great day to do the thing I said I would never do. Right. You know, whatever it is, we don't make a conscious decision on that day. It is a series of small little yeses Mm -hmm. and small choices that get us to a slippery slope where unfortunately one day we wake up and we say, how in the heck did I get here? And that's what happened to me. Mm-hmm. That was probably more than you bargained for. But just to kind of trace the dots and yes. start to take us where the door, where the story goes very quickly in my book. Absolutely. That's a really powerful foundation. And I have a lot of questions. <laughs> I'm an open book. Well, that, I think that was a beautiful overview of some of the puzzle pieces that led you to where you are now without skipping to the fun part where things get all better and happy and, you know, all that good stuff. But um, sure, I, sure. I want to go back a bit and linger in young Manda here. Mm-hmm. So you laid the groundwork that your father was not emotionally available to you. Yeah, correct. And so you sought emotional availability of boys. Totally. And I'm curious if you ever figured out a way to get your dad's attention. This is going to sound weird, and I, I'm just going to say it at the risk of it coming across perverted, but the, the, the times where I remember feeling seen by my dad were when we would go around other people together in a setting, and they would be like, wow, Mark, your daughter is beautiful. Like, mm-hmm. she's better watch out. The boys are going to be all about that or whatever. It was always about my appearance. Mm-hmm. And so it made me obsessed with, I need to look a certain way. Because Mm -hmm. that's when he's proud of me. That's when people notice me, which Mm -hmm. was both on a, uh, on a sexual front, which we've already talked about a little bit, but also just becoming obsessed with your appearance in a, is, uh, not healthy. (laughs) Um, it became a, it became an unhealthy obsession and constantly worrying about how I was perceived and Mm -hmm. gosh, it was all consuming. How confusing as a child that that's the attention you're getting. (laughs) To think that you have to be perfect and look perfect all the time. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think you're not alone. I think as women, we we all get the message that so much of our value as of who we are as people is caught up in our physical appearance. I mean, it's totally. still, I mean, I'm an adult and I've done years of sifting through that work and the messages are still there constantly. It's something that I'm, I'm conscious of, but like... I think everyone, whether it comes from our father or just our culture or whatever, like it's also there for men, of course, but for females, especially this message that our value is held in our physical appearance is so strong and so dominant. And I think just permeates so much of a woman's life, a young girl's life up through adulthood. So just like, thank you for like sharing that honestly and really because it's just such a big topic but yeah I'm glad that I'm not the only one and that we can all relate but it's also so sad and I hope it changes yes right yes I've never met a boy or a man who's like obsessed with how they look or consumed by that it's Mm -hmm. like rarely is that like at the top of the list for them Mm -hmm. and so this is a societal issue a cultural issue I mean on so many levels yeah Mm -hmm. for sure yeah But I do think our generation is changing that. I think we're making huge strides of progress in the the right direction. For sure. I agree. I agree. And it's still so easy to fall into. And it's going to take, I think, a few generations before a lot of it is weeded out because we're all recovering. 
from yeah. mm-hmm. that. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. Super powerful connection there between your father's attention and then the attention you saw elsewhere. It makes a lot of sense why you felt like your body was the tool for attention because that is how you got the attention you wanted the most. Yep. And so it makes a lot of sense. And I I will say, I don't share any of that to justify or excuse the behavior that did occur early Mm -hmm. on in my marriage. Like, I I hope that's obvious, but I just want to state that because I do know there'll be people listening who can't relate or who maybe can relate, but say, but I didn't go and have an affair in my marriage. And it's like, Mm -hmm. totally. That was not to excuse or justify the behavior. When my husband and I navigated all of that in counseling, that's one of the things that our counselor, our therapist helped Uh, him really understand was it was important for both of us to get to the root of it and to really understand it. And it did create some empathy and some compassion in in places that were helpful for our healing and restoration. But by no means was it just, well, this is why I did this thing. And now we can just forget about it and move on. Not at all. Um, Getting to the root though, did really help me to actually understand that, oh, I wasn't broken. This was something that could be healed within me that I wasn't um, going to repeat this pattern for the rest of my life. Yes. I look forward to hearing more about that healing as we get into this. You mentioned earlier that in your dating relationship with your now husband, you quote unquote, did not have any issues, Mm. seemed pretty smooth. Could you describe a little more of that and maybe some things that you've noticed in hindsight as you look back on that season of your life? Yeah. What I, what I mean by that really is just that we were enamored with each other as you would hope to be when you're about to marry someone. Mm-hmm. And I thought that the, the, the part of me, this quote unquote dark side or shadow side that reared its head in other dating relationships where I would be dating someone, but somebody else would catch my attention or their, the attention that this person would give me. Uh, I wanted more of it and I would find myself um, not, not necessarily being like a cheater in all these relationships, but, mm-hmm. but just not always acting appropriately, kind of flirting and entertaining it because it, it, it gave me a hit. It, mm-hmm. it was, it's like an addiction. Mm-hmm. So in a way it, it filled me up. It gave me a hit. I, I, what I mean when I say that there weren't really any issues is that didn't really occur in my dating relationship with Eric. Like I mm-hmm. was fully invested in our relationship. I was fully present for it. And to the conscious part of my brain, at least that from what I recall, there wasn't anyone else who would catch my attention. I wasn't noticing those things. So here I thought, well, it's because I've met the right person. Now I'm, I'm fixed. And so much to my surprise, once we were married, it's like, Oh, there she comes again. The dark side, the shadow side, the sin that had laid dormant. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That there's no one person that fixes the hard parts of our hearts. 100%. Yes. Mm-hmm. So he kept your attention, quote unquote, better than <laughs> other guys I mean, you were with. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, I, call it call it what you will, but mm-hmm. yeah, it was during during those years that mm-hmm. things were good, and I just thought I'm not broken. Like I was just with the wrong people. Mm-hmm. But but to your point, it wasn't ever going to be one person that was going to fix this. Yeah. I think that showed you know we really cared about each other and we were, you know, a great match and all of that. But this thing, this sin, any, again, I call it sin, call it what you will, whatever it is in your life that is a recurring issue. 
it can't be fixed, as you said, by one person. It's not just going to go away. We have to repair so that we don't repeat. And Mm -hmm. that repair work did come. Like you said, we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it didn't come without a huge fallout first. Yeah. Yeah. So you enter into marriage with this man who feels like like you can just kind of put that chapter away in your past of all the ickies and we can move forward. And you said that it didn't take very long for this to creep up once you were married. What was sex like in your early marriage and how did that correlate with these issues that popped up? Yes. Sex was really difficult, which was a huge surprise. So Eric was, um, although I wasn't a virgin when we got married, I had not had sex with him. We Mm -hmm. waited together for marriage. That was his idea at the time. Um, and I'm, and I'm grateful for that. Such a good Mm -hmm. man to say, I want to respect your body. I'm willing to wait. And that's Mm -hmm. not to say we didn't do other things. You know, we weren't perfect, but (laughs) as far as your maybe traditional view of penetrative sex, we waited till our wedding night. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that was another reason that quote unquote, God was going to bless us. And we were just going to have this amazing Mm. sex life. And it Mm -hmm. was not that, Mm -hmm. um, sex was rough. The whole first year, I would say intimacy was the number one source of conflict. Mm. And we would say out loud to each other, like in frustration, sometimes like this was supposed to be the most natural part of us. And it, Mm. why, why isn't this working? Mm. And we definitely didn't tell anyone about it or come forward. I didn't share about it with girlfriends because also in Christian culture, I feel like you're taught, like when you're married, you don't speak poorly about your relationship or your spouse. And to some extent, I agree with that, but I also think it would have been good for me to feel comfortable to confide in some friends and maybe for them to say, Oh, we struggle with that too. In our first year of marriage, or this is totally normal or, but instead it kept shame, keeps you quiet and, um, Mm -hmm. in kind of the secrecy. And so we struggled. There was physical limitations, like just issues that we were like, why isn't this working? Like this Mm -hmm. is supposed to be happening. And it's like, it's not feeling good. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there was, I think, a greater issue of an emotional block. Mm -hmm. I think I, the reality that this was forever started to really set in. And I Mm -hmm. think I, I know I panicked and I started Mm -hmm. to, to think like maybe I'd made a big mistake. Um, Mm -hmm. I I was just terrified. I also, so I mentioned this in the book, my dad has been married six times. My mom's been married three times. So I come Mm -hmm. from a lot of family dysfunction and marriage dysfunction. I saw a lot of, um, clearly with that many step parents coming in and out of my life too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So very opposite of my husband, whose parents are still, my in-laws are still married, you know, over 30 years. They're just, it, which is beautiful, mm-hmm. but we came into marriage with very opposite views. And I think that was also really difficult for us, even though mm-hmm. we did premarital counseling, like on paper, we did all the right things to set ourselves up for success mm-hmm. and it still wasn't working. And it was still really, really difficult. And everyone's like, Oh, first year honeymoon phase, mm-hmm. you know, newlywed bliss. And I'm going, I'm sitting here eating pizza in my lingerie. He just fell asleep. We didn't have sex. And now he's going to leave me because we don't have sex. And I had written mm. this story again, going back to thinking my body, nice. I, I thought it was my duty to fulfill him and I'm not fulfilling mm. him. And let alone, I'm not being fulfilled, which is a whole other issue that I thought didn't matter, which also does matter. <laughs> yes. So just a whirlwind, just a hot mess, honestly. That is a cornucopia of struggle right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My heart goes out to you, like 
all of this anticipation leading into marriage, making all of these right choices and checking boxes and all the while you feeling like my body is this gift and I know my body is powerful and I know that I'm going to be able to give this high quality physical experience because that is what I have based so much value on in the past. And so here we go, the equation for an awesome sex life, and then all comes crashing down. (laughs) Totally. Like the, the bigger our expectations, the more room we have for suffering. And I just hear that in this first year, it was like so hard. It felt like you had this perfect equation and you did not get the answer you thought was popping out on the other side. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and too, like prosperity gospel at the time, totally subscribed to that. And so uh, I thought, well, now I'm actually doing things right and I'm living my life the right way. So God's going to bless all of this. Right. Mm -hmm. And it Mm. just, it was not happening. And I'm like, wait a second. Hmm. what's going on here? It was a bit alarming and Mm -hmm. frustrating. And Mm -hmm. I I like that you actually use the word suffering because when I look back at our first year, I have a lot of memories of just crying and feeling Hmm. really alone. And man, if I could go back in time and just tell younger newlywed Manda what I know now, there's so many things I'd want to tell her, but (laughs) I think one of the things that I would just want to preach over and over again until she believed it is your job as a wife to be a good wife. You do not have to fulfill somebody else. There is no um, quota in keeping score Mm -hmm. and that marriage and sex and all of this, it's so much deeper and richer than what you think it is. Mm -hmm. Yes. So just just enjoy the the relationship and the friendship and the intimacy will come, but like forcing it isn't going to get you there. Mm-hmm. And I, and the other thing I would say too, and I actually was saying this to a, a woman that I have been mentoring in the last couple of years is I don't know why at year one in my marriage, I thought we needed to look like other people who'd been married for 10 plus years mm-hmm. that we should have yes. functioned the way they functioned that it's like, wait a second. We were new at this. We weren't supposed to be good at it. And mm. yet the perfectionist in me, the, the person who thought I needed to be perfect and needed to be perceived as perfect was beating myself up because clearly I wasn't perfect. I wasn't even close. And we were so bad at it, but nobody was saying it was okay to be bad at it. Yeah. So, yes. I, I mean, I just would have poured grace all over mm-hmm. m- me and our relationship and my husband the way we do now. It's yeah. funny. It's like, we're so much better now, but there's so much more grace. Maybe it's because of that, that things are mm-hmm. so much better. Yes. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to when you mentioned that you couldn't talk to anybody about it because you were fearful of being disrespectful. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to clarify, like, I this is very common, I think, particularly within the Christian church, mm-hmm. is if we're going to talk about our marriage, our partners, it has to be with utmost positivity. Otherwise, we are being nags or gossips or slanders of our spouse. Mm. And I want to make an important distinction here that what you were experiencing and what many women experience is hardship that is not going to get solved between the two of you. Absolutely. 
And there are ways to talk about the hardship you're experiencing that are very disrespectful to your marriage. And there are ways to talk about the hardship that you're experiencing that are going to lead to a lifeline of support. Hmm. Yes, I completely agree. And that's where the story goes in, in both in my book and in in life, how this played Mm -hmm. out is it's when I got a mentor who was older and wiser than me, who was a really safe space and a trusted person who was really healthy and could handle the fullness, the full truth and Mm -hmm. know my intentions and my heart that once I could be real in that space with her, that things start to turn. Mm -hmm. Confession is made. We're replacing shame with grace and all Mm -hmm. of a sudden things start to turn around and Mm -hmm. the future actually looked bright. And um, Mm -hmm. that was huge, but I needed to have that type of person. And I needed to also know that it was okay to show up in that type of relationship with someone. And, and so I'm so thankful that she really invited me into that and kind of helped me get there. Cause I don't know if I would have gotten there on my own. Mm-hmm. And now I get to do that for other women. So it's like mm-hmm. the most beautiful thing. I love what you're talking about because I know in my journey, I know in Rachel's journey, getting support from others has been, I think about this all the time, all the years that I spent, like, we're fine. We don't need help and stuff. And now at this point, when I have help from all the directions, I have coaching, I have a personal therapist, I have a couple's therapist, I have all the things. And I'm like, how did I ever think that I could do this on my own? Like in hindsight, and, and but that's yeah. the narrative that we get, or we're failing, or there's something wrong, or maybe it's, we know there's stuff wrong, but it's not bad enough to require external help. I'll just do it on my own. And it's so false. And I just want women to really hear this, that like, like, go get help. It is so, it's just everything. I just, I, I just want to encourage everybody to do that so much because from the stories we've heard on this podcast, plus our personal experiences, it's that same thing keeps coming up over and over again. Like, this is why we're in community get together. This is what we need to do. Like get support and help because it is just, oh, it's wonderful. So thanks for sharing. Yeah. No, I'm so glad you have that. And I feel the same way. And um, if people, you know, do feel what you described, like it's not bad enough, that's, I've actually shown up in, in a therapy session said like, well, I've offered like the 50,000 disclaimers of like, well, this probably isn't that bad. Da, 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 da. And it's like, <laughs> right. they've heard it all. They've seen it all. It's fine. Just show up and be honest, you know? Um, but yeah, you can start there. Start with your disclaimers. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. just, just show up somehow with what you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think that's part of the goodness of getting older is I think recognizing how much help you need and actually going after it instead Mm -hmm. of hiding it and trying to fix it yourself. I just started going to therapy last summer Wow! and I'm in my thirties. Like I have never had therapy before in my life until finally last summer, because I've spent my whole life saying it's not bad enough and Mm -hmm. it's fine. Like I can just read another book. I can apply another concept, you know? And I've gotten support in other ways from other mentors over the years and friends and things like that. But there's something very unique about having a person that's specifically there for you to just dump whatever Mm -hmm. on Mm -hmm. Yes, and let them take it and not worry about how they're receiving it because it's their job to hold it. Yeah. I love that you said that because I've talked to some people who haven't had experience with a therapist before. And I'm like, let me just say, if you enjoy friendship, you would love therapy because in a way it's like a friend, but here's the best part. 
it's not reciprocated like a friend. Because <laughs> yeah. And one of my friends laughed because I, I was telling her that when I first started therapy, I would be like, and, and what about you? Like almost <laughs> doing what you do in friendship where you yes. want to be unaware, you want to be yes. self-aware. And so you're like, oh, I've been talking about myself a lot. I should like bring it back to them. And I yes. love it because a good therapist will be like, no, 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 Amanda, you're going to take up all the space. This is mm-hmm. all for you. It's yes. all about you. And it's a actually so great especially now as like a mom and all the other hats that I wear I need a space that can just be that for me Mm -hmm. and I don't have to reciprocate because that's that's like a whole other exhausting thing which I love Mm -hmm. friendship should be that way Mm -hmm. but that's the beauty of a relationship with a therapist that's so unique yes Mm -hmm. yes that was the driving force that sent me there was my husband was like you need someone to talk to that you don't have to care about like quite honestly. Mm. <laughs> and he's like, you got so much going on and so many people in your life that are, it's, it's all these reciprocal relationships and these friendships and all these people you want to pour into. And it's so great, but you need a spot where you don't have to care about <laughs> reciprocating. And it has been very refreshing and challenging to be yeah. in that place. <laughs> I believe it. Well, before we make this an entire podcast about therapy, which we could, um, <laughs> let's um, let's zoom back into what happened after that first year or within that first year, some of like the low points and what prompted you to then bring this all into the light. Yeah. I mean, the low points, you know, we've named some of them just frustrations about sex, fresh and intimacy in general, frustrations with my husband, you know, I thought we kind of went into marriage on the same page, but then it was like, oh, wait, we're not on the same page. Like you want to do weekly dinners with, with like your family, like, like as in our extended family. And that feels like a lot to me because I don't come from that type of family. And so I felt like that was overbearing. And here we are, we, I was like, we need to, you know, establish ourselves as a family. Like we are a family. So you could see the conflict playing out. Right. Mm -hmm. So there was just a lot of that. Um, and then, Obviously, as I mentioned, it's not like I set out to find someone. I wasn't looking. I wasn't wanting anyone else but my husband, which I know sounds crazy, but someone else came along in a way that we don't need to get into the details. But essentially, I was interacting with with this person on a regular basis because I had to, and they crossed some boundary lines, and I sort of reciprocated, and it felt good, and I felt wanted, and you know, he told me I was beautiful and he was starting to fill, fill my tank in ways that I felt like my husband wasn't. And again, I don't say that to justify it. I'm just trying to paint the picture here mm-hmm. of the reality. And that sin that had laid so dormant really, you know, crept up. And it was like, well, this is no big deal. Like I wrote everything off as no big deal. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. it's not a big deal. Looking back, it's like all oh, these were major stop signs along the way. Mm-hmm. And if you have to delete a text because you think your husband's going to be mad if he sees it, it's probably a red flag, right? So um, things like that. So nothing too crazy, but just the little things along the way. Mm-hmm. And then at one point, this person and I were alone and they made a move. And that's when things turned physical. And truly, it was in that moment that it was like the lights flipped on. I would have never called it emotional fair. I was not aware that that's what was happening. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, mm-hmm. this is no big deal. I, I, that's the story I had been writing or telling myself. Mm-hmm. And once things became physical, it was like somebody had flipped on the lights. Suddenly I was naked and exposed, not literally, but just figuratively like, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. But then it was too late, right? Like mm-hmm. what had been done was done. Not that mm-hmm. it was too late, like the, we were doomed or the story was over because it doesn't end there. But it was too late to 
you know, now damage had been done that was going to take a lot of work to repair. So, um, I did thankfully cut that person out of my life immediately, which was a really good choice. I wish Mm -hmm. right then and there that I had gone to my husband, but I didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's something that's been really hard for me to process, you know, many years later, it's like, Oh, you know, I wish you could have done this, but you can't go back and change things. What I have Mm -hmm. since learned though, is that for almost a year, that secret was hidden and I probably could have taken it to my grave possibly, Mm -hmm. but I didn't. Mm -hmm. And so what I am proud of is that even though it took me longer than I wish it would have longer than it should have, uh, the guilt did eat away at me because I'm a human with a heart. (laughs) And I finally came forward with the help of the mentor who I referred to a little bit ago, where I made that confession to her first. Hey, Mm -hmm. this thing happened in my marriage. It's been almost a year. Mm-hmm. And I want it to just go away, but the guilt is eating away at me, even though I'm no longer in contact with this person. I think the only way it's going to go away is if I confess it to my husband. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to do that because there's going to be consequences. Mm-hmm. And she was so amazing because she she sat with me and she held very, very non-judgmental space for me. But also she didn't like promise me that everything was going to be okay because she couldn't she couldn't guarantee that. But she said, I promise you a life worth living. I can't promise you that this is going to work out with your marriage, but like your life is worth living because mm-hmm. at that point I had grown so depressed and this had become so consuming in my mind. I had equated this thing that I had done wrong as like the sum of my existence. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, that's a really horrible place to live. So I had begun to have some suicidal ideation and things were mm-hmm. just gotten out of control. And my husband knew I was depressed, but he didn't really understand why. And I think he was confused too. Mm -hmm. So anyway, with the help of my mentor, I finally got to a place where, um, actually it was within about 15 minutes of saying it out loud to my mentor and processing with her, uh, between doing that and actually telling my husband was probably only like the 15 minute drive from where we were at to my apartment. Mm -hmm. Like it was like, once it came out of my mouth and it was in the light, suddenly I had this courage and this Mm -hmm. freedom to, to go and do it again. It's like going from hiding for almost a year to getting off your chest. And then it's like, Oh, I'm still living. The world has not stopped spinning. Okay. I can do this. And it was so hard. I'm not going to romanticize what confession in any capacity looks like, but I will say that my husband was gracious. He was angry. Of course he was Mm -hmm. sad. We went through all the stages of grief. There's so much I don't cover in the book just because it would have taken the book in a totally different direction, which someday maybe we'll write that, that -hmm. part of the story too. But yeah, it was very, very hard and also the best thing I've ever done. And Mm -hmm. definitely the most intimate part to our marriage, which is ironic because it was the last thing I thought would create intimacy but it was in fact necessary to kind of unlock all that is now us. Oh my goodness. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'd love to ask a little about the fears that you experienced in between committing those acts and then confession, because you, you did choose to wait. And my guess is there was a lot of fear in that season. Could you speak to what some of those things were in your head that were circling and playing like a skipping record? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was the constant voice that was saying, if anyone finds this out about you, like your reputation's ruined, like you, Mm -hmm. Eric's going to leave you. And then, you know, you're never going to recover. You're never going to like, 
your life as you know it will never be the same. And there are parts of that that actually are true, but in the best way possible now, mm-hmm. again, hindsight is twenty twenty. But the, the replaying message was you have screwed up so bad. There is no coming back from this. So you're better off dead. Mm-hmm. And again, that's a very, very scary and dark place to be. Yeah. And it's wild because I sit here today and I, it's like a crazy thought to think that I almost thought that this mistake that I made was so bad that I shouldn't be on this earth. I have no purpose or reason to live today. And I, I, it is so crazy because I have this beautifully, wildly adventurous, wonderful, far more than I deserve life that's rich and that's fulfilling. And also I know that I'm doing so much to bring goodness and contribute to this world. And yet I thought that this one past issue disqualified me and made it so that I shouldn't live. Like, again, it sounds crazy because to an extent it is, but it was such a very real and loud voice in my mind that I think was so tied to shame, Mm. which was tied to many other things that we've touched on Mm -hmm. going all the way back to childhood. I think what you're talking about here really sheds light on the importance of like truth to ourselves and in our relationships. It's something Rachel and I talk about all the time is that like the path to intimacy is like sharing your truth. And this, I think story just kind of, shares kind of tells us the opposite like what it can be like and what it can feel like when you're not sharing your truth especially with that person that is supposed to be your partner in this life and what that can feel like and how deep the effects can be of that and then what I also hear is the beauty that can come even if it's hard out of sharing your truth so I I can't wait to hear more about that side of the story too but like truth with yourself is the first and foremost thing always However, within this intimate connection that we have in, in these long-term relationships and partnerships, it's just, it's, it's not talked about enough, I think, about how sharing these truths, good, bad, or ugly, is, is what leads to that intimacy and connection that in the end is what we're all desiring. Yeah. Caitlin, I love that you said that because I believe that we can only be loved to the extent that we are known. Mm. Yes. Truth bomb. (laughs) (laughs) So as soon as I was fully known and I'm standing there before my husband and I'm like, I know that you love me and you think all these things of me, but they're not true, which he was like, yes, they are. They both things can be true at once. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why are you're so healthy? Um, (laughs) Also, that wasn't that wasn't the very initial response, but that's what came (laughs) later. But for me to say no, I've got this dark side, this shadow side. I know what it's tied to now and I want to do the work, but I don't, I don't know what this means for me in my life. And this is who I am. This is a struggle I have. Mm-hmm. And to say the words out loud, I remember the first time I said, like in that conversation saying to him after really confessing like everything, I was like, I think I'm addicted to affirmation from men. And mm-hmm. it leads me down a really dark and dangerous path. And you're probably wondering who the heck you've married. And I'm still trying to get to know her myself. Mm. But to your point, it's the self-awareness first. It's knowledge of ourselves and also letting 
people in and, and the right people. I have a whole section in the book on how wisdom is actually withholding and how not everyone deserves to know mm. all the parts of us. Mm-hmm. But I do believe, and I have seen it true in my personal experience, proven to be true, that you can only be loved to the extent that you are known. And when you mm-hmm. let people know you and when you take the time to know yourself intimately, it is powerful Mm-hmm. And you will experience high highs and also some low lows, but mm-hmm. um, but you will you will finally unlock new levels of love mm-hmm. that you probably didn't know were possible. I know that was true for me. I didn't know this kind of love was possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's rewriting so many of the narratives from your young years, your parents being apart and watching them churn through marriages to be able to experience this kind of knownness and intimacy and closeness, you're able to heal those hurt pieces of your young self. And I think that's so, so beautiful. And it's nothing that somebody could do for you. Yeah. No matter how much your husband knows you, if you aren't aware of those connections, he can't diagnose that himself. Right. There's no way. Right. Mm -hmm. So can you share with us a bit about what intimacy means to you? And I'm not using that as a code word for sex. I really want to know what intimacy is and how that looks now that you have walked through this fire of refining and getting down to that core of knowing what's really going on inside your own heart. The first thing that comes up, and I I like to speak from the gut because I think it's usually where the truth lies for myself is unfiltered presence and honesty. I think intimacy, to your point, is not just sex. It's not just physical. That's for sure. But it's when there's a safety to be unabashedly your whole self. Mm-hmm. And as we've described, it's so powerful. But I, I can only say that. You, you have to experience it for yourself. And it requires... Um, a bit of self-awareness and getting to know yourself and doing the work. It requires a bit of bravery. It requires finding that person or those people where, where they are going to be a safe place for you to land when you show up unabashedly as your full, full self. Um, that's intimacy. There's no faking it. And I don't know about you, but like, it's kind of like after I've been friends with someone for a while and they come over to my house and I don't, clean up. I don't try to make sure there's no skid marks in my toilet before they come over. It is like the most refreshing, like just there's ease to it. Mm -hmm. I think when you're experiencing intimacy with, with friends or in a romantic relationship, there's an ease to being with, to Mm -hmm. being with them in, in Mm -hmm. whatever capacity. It's like taking that exhale. It -hmm. feels really good. Yeah. And it's safe. And I use that word because it's so important to me because there have been so many relationships in my life with males that I thought it was real intimacy and it was never safe. So it couldn't Mm -hmm. have been real intimacy Mm -hmm. or only one person was showing up unabashedly fully Mm -hmm. themselves. Mm -hmm. It's not the same thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that, you know, resonates or where that lands with you. That's what comes up from the gut for me. (laughs) we're laughing to each other almost just because this is so reflective of how many conversations we've had about intimacy and the essential components of what that's made up of. 
I cannot tell you how many conversations um, on this podcast safety has come up as that core thing when you get down to the bottom of it. And it's, it's mm-hmm. safety. Like that word is so like, what does that mean? Safe. I've never felt unsafe around my partner, but it's, it's the safety to be truly seen and loved as your true self. Like you said, mm-hmm. like in your wholeness of all the parts of you and showing up that way and knowing that you are, you know, that you're enough and that you will still be fully loved in this relationship and this partnership that's oh that's the richness and that's like the narrative that we need to talk about more in this culture you know these narratives of what romantic love should look like like you talked about in your early marriage of like oh we were gonna be newlyweds and we're gonna have all this hot sex all the time and you know all this it's just false narratives that you know and not to say that's no nobody's experience but you know, it's it's walking these walks together to to deal with our shadows, to deal with the dark parts of ourselves and still coming together and loving each other. Like mm, that's where that real richness is that creates this beautiful bond and intimacy and ultimately can lead to great sex. But it's not it's like the sex is kind of comes from it comes after it's like you need to get down to these roots um first and then and then that's what leads to beautiful sex not the positions or the the time in your life or whatever it's it's walking through these together and i don't know i just love your story because it like really deeply reflects all of that yes i'm so glad you said that that's so true that the beautiful rich sex has not come from us focusing on that or trying harder to get that it's Mm -hmm. come from all this other stuff as like an organic result of just like Mm -hmm. real intimacy and love and grace and safety and Mm -hmm. yeah we we laugh to ourselves sometimes at how great it is now when we look back and eight years ago i'm crying on the bed going we're never gonna have a good sex life and what if we want to have kids someday and we can't because we can't even have sex which is it's just i mean we i laugh but i also just feel for for younger manda yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. i i wanted to ask like if you're willing to go into the nitty-gritty with us like what does safety and intimacy then lead to in your sexual expression of your relationship. What is it like now? It's not like eight years ago when you're crying on the bed. So what's going on now? (laughs) Yeah. It's being really clear about what I like, what I don't like. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that's a huge difference I can say is I used to be very like uh, kind of obsessed with keeping track of like, oh, do we have sex this week? Like we should be having sex this week. <laughs> and I'm so glad that I'm like free of that. I really don't think yes. about that. Now, the good news is we are in a rhythm where we're having open conversations. So we do um, yes. something that Eric and I do based on everything we've gone through is we ask each other three questions every Sunday night. Mm-hmm. They have nothing to do with sex, but sex almost always comes up. Mm-hmm. Um, I can I can share them if it's helpful. They're really quick. Sure. First one, how, how have I loved you well this week? Um, it's just a nice time where we just say like one or two things that really stand out from the week. Um, second question, how can I best support you in the coming week? It's a time where we speak up and we vocalize. That is where oftentimes one of us will be like, I am craving, like, I want to get down. Like, I feel like we have not (laughs) had like sexy time and we're just like really honest. I'm not going to lie. Um, other things come up too. Sometimes actually I've answered that question. You can best support me this week by, I need, I need sleep. Please do not try to like make a move. Like Mm -hmm. I'm, it's a busy week for me and it just sets the expectation and we respect each other and it's Mm -hmm. really good. Um, 
and my husband and I, again, not everyone will agree with this or people may have their opinions, but we just have an open conversation. Like if you feel the need, I'm just going to go there. If you feel Mm -hmm. the need to get off by all means, do what you need to do. Do not come to use me to get Mm -hmm. off. Um, so we have, we, there's been a lot of conversations, a lot of work around that, which is really good. And it has helped us thrive because when we are having sex, when we are engaging in intimacy physically with each other, we both know that we both want to be there. No one's there out of obligation and that sometimes things happen and like, yeah, Mm -hmm. it's like magic and everybody is getting off and happy. And Mm -hmm. sometimes that's not what's mm-hmm. happening but it's also not always the goal mm-hmm. and that's okay too yes. which you know I don't know how many people listening it's like when you had kids and foster kids and stress and work into you you start to realize as life has happened I've started to realize that there's still reason for us to make out or be naked in bed together mm-hmm. even if it doesn't end it doesn't have to end like yes. it does in the movies like yes. I thought it had mm-hmm. to end like the movie picture all the time mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Anyway, really quickly, the third question, just to round that out, uh, that we ask every week. So how have I loved you well? How have I best supported you? How can I best support you in the coming week? And then the third question is, is there anything weighing on your conscience that you want to tell me? Like anything that you just haven't told me that you want to mm-hmm. tell me? That question for us was implemented because of our history. It was mm-hmm. something a therapist had recommended to keep me accountable, really. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it can be helpful in any context, but it was really for me to be able to name those stop signs aloud before mm-hmm. things got further. So, yeah. um, you know, it's like, oh, this guy flirted with me at this coffee shop and he was kind of flirty. And I'm just saying this out loud to you, babe, because in the past, that's something that I would have been like, oh, no big deal. I enjoyed it, but no big deal. And mm-hmm. now for me, I treat it like an addict. I don't mm-hmm. chalk up anything as no big deal. And if I tell him, it loses its power because it's no longer right. the secret and I don't like mm-hmm. have anything yeah. to hide and mm-hmm. there's no like thrill of that. So um, sometimes it's something like a heavy hitter like that. And other times mm-hmm. an answer to that question is as simple as, oh, I've been meaning to tell you I scheduled the cleaners. Like it's right. practical, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. So yes. I love how open-ended that is that it can go mm-hmm. deep or it can be very practical and simple. Yeah. Sometimes those three questions are a 10 minute conversation between us. Mm -hmm. Other times those three questions lead to hours and Mm -hmm. it's always really good and really helpful. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Yeah. feel free. Anyone steal it. It's practice Mm -hmm. that we enjoy. I love Mm -hmm. that. Okay. I cannot help but go back to your comment about saying that if your husband is feeling like he wants an orgasm, we're just going to be yep. real clear here, yep. that he has the ability to take care of that, but that you're not a receptacle for that need. Okay. Yep. Just, we need to sit there for a second because <laughs> this is not talked about well. Mm-hmm. And um, yep. I love your distinction on if we are going to participate in sex together, this is going to be about us connecting. If you literally just have a physical like need for this thing, that's not my job. Mm-hmm. Like, thank yeah. you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's what works for us. Um, I, I know that it would be damaging for me to say to myself, okay, self, he needs this every other day. So get there. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, like mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. believe in that anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and we have, I, I wouldn't say rules. We're not really a rules kind of couple more. So just open honesty around sort of the boundary. Like mm-hmm. we, we don't allow porn into our marriage. So personally for us, um, as individuals or as a couple, that's not something we utilize. So mm-hmm. if you have a need to have an orgasm, 
and and I'm either uninterested, unavailable, whatever the case is, mm-hmm. you can handle that. You don't have to mm-hmm. use other people or even. Right. Um, so we've just like we've just gotten really, really clear. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't need him to come and tell me like anytime that that's going on. Um, <laughs> that might be a little weird, but I will say like it's not weird if I'm like, hey, I feel like we haven't had sex in a little bit. Like everything all good on your end? He he will he will openly. I know he wouldn't mind if I share this, by the way. So that's why I'm being so open. He will sometimes say like, oh, I I've taken care of the physical needs. Now I miss you and I want to like feel connected to you in that way. But when you're ready, like especially during pregnancy, mm. when I mm. was pregnant my first trimester, it was like, do not touch me. I'm just puking all the time. And like honestly, mm-hmm. if you come near me and I smell your breath, I'm gonna die. Right. 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 <laughs> yep. So seasons of life. There's just mm-hmm. times where mm-hmm. it's not going to look like the movies. It rarely mm-hmm. will, but it's yeah. so much better. <laughs> so much better. Oh, so much pressure off. That's what I hear. Yes. It's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. So I want to close our time together, even though we could talk forever. Um, I'm going to close our time together with a quote from your book that I loved. I'm flattered. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Change is temporary. Transformation is ongoing. Change is something we strive for. Transformation is what happens when we stop striving. Change happens on the surface. Transformation requires getting to the root. Mm-hmm. I think that this really envelops what your story is about and reflects what it takes to get to that other side of vulnerability. And I'm so grateful you've gone on that journey and that your bravery has led you here today. It's amazing. Thanks. Me too. Yeah. That's that quote is a perfect way to answer. I had someone on a podcast ask me, well, how do you know that you're really healed? How do you know that you're not going to do it again? Mm -hmm. And all I could say was, it's transformation. It's ongoing. Mm -hmm. I can't sit here and tell you I'm a changed person. I'm just different for the long haul. It's like, this is the journey I'm on and I'm going to continue to be on it for the rest of my existence, which might sound exhausting, but it's actually freeing and Mm -hmm. it lightens the burden. Mm. So yeah, I love that you chose that Mm -hmm. quote. Oh, I love your book and I can't wait to continue diving in. I've only made it a third of the way through, but I am going to finish it. I'm so excited. (laughs) Thank you. That means a lot. Yes. Thank you so much for being here today, Amanda. Your story is a gift. Your vulnerability is a gift and your marriage is going to continue to be a gift. I know to both of you and to many, many others. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Not Tonight podcast. If today's story inspired you to take the next step in your own relationship, we invite you to take our free key to closeness quiz. Go to nottonight.org slash quiz to get started today. We also greatly appreciate your support by subscribing to future episodes and please leave our podcast a five-star review. Until next time, keep doing the work in your sex life, whatever that looks like for you. 